Right. Right. That's good. Yeah, yeah, you like that? Some play acting to get us into it. Just yeah, a little, uh, little yeah, some uh, improv. Improv. You were saying, Matt. Uh, nothing. Do you remember? <laughs> do you remember the first baseball game you ever went to? First baseball game I ever went to? Yeah, like professional level, not like a little. Yeah. Game, do you want me to tell you a quick story or a long story? Long. What? A, um, long time. I think the first baseball game I went to, I had. I was a very anxious kid. Uh, no. Just a lot of, I was always worried. I'm worried about this, worried about that. I think I, I got, severe, I think I got a severe stomach ache at the game just from being nervous. And then uh, I think we left early and came home. And I think I just they had, yeah. And then I, just, I felt fine once I was back home. And uh, that was my first baseball game, I believe. Of course, that was the long, what's, what's the quick version of that? Uh, that was a long. Well, what would be the quick version? Yeah, I went to a baseball game, left early. Yada, yada, yada. Got sick. Got, well, yeah. yeah. I think I blacked out most of that, just why I was, I don't know, just the nerves. Just the nerves. And this is, I was kind of curious because the hometown team for you is an expansion team that didn't get here until, I guess you would have been, nine, was it 93? Why did, I wanted to say 97. But yeah, 90. I wanted to say, it was, yeah, it was like 93 they played at, I should know this. Oh, okay. the first spring you, training. You first spring training. Okay. And then it, and this you, would have been 94, 95. You're about nine. About nine or ten. Yeah. So that's perfect. That's actually a good little kid. Great time to start getting okay. those stomach aches. Great time to just have the nerves kick in. I don't think that will surprise any of our listeners that that's an issue. That I have just yeah. so much anxiety that it, it dates you back. yourself out. Just yeah. to, I gotta leave this baseball game. I never liked playing baseball too. I think it was tied to that. That's another story too. Anyway, Matt, ruining your. Did you know, like, because baseball, you can't get out at a certain point. All eyes are gonna be on you because that batting rotation. There's nowhere to kind of hide. In basketball and soccer and other like group running activities, you can kind of stay in the background if you're not into it. But baseball. The, the ball is going to get hit to you at some point, it's, or you're going to come up to bat, and everyone's going to be looking at you. It's at a much more individual sport team. than it sort of appears to be. Yeah. yeah, for a team sport, it's pretty dumb. Yeah. So yeah, that was my first baseball game, I believe. I, I could be I could be wrong about that, but um, that's the one that sticks out in my mind. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's cool. Any other kind of well. Well, I was going to answer with mine, and okay. I was hoping to jumpstart stall. Hold on, hold on, but... hold on. Matt, do you remember your first baseball game? I don't remember my first one, well, but what... I remember we always went to what we, we always doing? went to Royals. Well, I was we always went to Royals games growing up, so as far back as I can remember. That's a little, yeah, as far back Kansas City Royals. Yeah, so, yeah, so the Beck. listener knows I am a Colorado Rockies fan, expansion team. 93. Went to the first. I used to go to the spring training when I was a kid down in Arizona. Matt grew up in Kansas, Kansas City Royals fan. That classic, those classic George Brett teams. Uh, we were an expansion team in 1969. We, we both support teams that are historically irrelevant, forgotten for flyover states, flyover teams, basically. Yeah. Uh, Although Colorado, the Rockies for a long time had the kind of attendance, not record, but just a you know, good attendance for a bad team sort of thing. And you guys pop up every now and then and are kind of good. You went to the World Series in what, 07? Yeah, yep. You won it in 97? A highlight of, of the team for 30 years. They won something like, I want to say 20 games at the end of, I think it was 20 games straight at the end of the season. Uh, a fantastic run. I think they went and then they played the Red Sox and lost in four games. It happens. It happens. Tell me about, tell me about 
going to the baseball games in Kansas City with your brothers. Were you the were you the the super fan? Was another brother a bigger fan of the of the Royals than you? Did you care about the Royals because they were bad at this point, right? No, I cared. I enjoyed it. It was fun. Okay. It was good to go like with my grandpa, my dad, and uh, no, we all my middle brother Jeff, the Wendell Berry one. He didn't care. He could care less. But sad, sad and I are into it. And you, it was fun. you asked a prompt a couple days ago. Uh, yeah. Do you want to get into that in the intro? Yeah, I'm going to get into all of it. I have, yeah, I have two more. Okay. Uh, the prompt you sent me was, what's, or not sent me, but you wanted to talk about, what's your greatest heart heartache? Heartbreaking. Heartbreaking. Moment. Yeah. I have a little bit of a weird one, okay? A little backstory mm-hmm. here. So growing up as a young kid, I didn't have a baseball team, right? I didn't get the Rockies until eight or nine years old. So my mom grew up in Cincinnati, okay? Follow me. And they played in the World Series when I was five years old against the Oakland Athletics, okay? I vaguely remember that, yeah. And I didn't realize this. They swept the series as considered a huge upset when I was doing a little research about this. Anyway, they had an outfielder named Eric Davis. Eric Davis ran into the wall, I believe, trying to catch a ball. He either caught it or he, he just a great effort. He's one of my favorite players. And he hurt himself and got like a lacerated spleen. And what I remember saying to my mom is, I think we should write Eric Davis a letter saying how bad we feel about like uh-huh. I, was, I remember being like and I think my mom we may have written a letter I don't think we wrote a letter to him just being like I hope you're okay and that was my first heartbreak because I was like devastated that Eric Davis get injured running uh-huh. into the wall for a team that I no longer support but I always I have a soft spot for the Cincinnati Reds yeah. I think one of the longest I believe they played the first game uh, they used to be the start of the major league se- uh, uh, season. The Reds would always play first, but that's a little bit out of left field. Uh, as far as the Rockies, they have—I've never had high expectations, and so therefore I've never been heartbroken. I was disappointed when they lost the World Series, but I've never—and this is something we can get into when we start discussing the book that we're talking about this week about expectations and heartbreak and whether sort of expansion teams come with those expectations or is there like is it just the kind of classic teams that build up generation after generation of fans that builds that like oh we haven't won in 80 years i've never felt that with the rockies we haven't won a world series at all we barely make the playoffs every you know you guys won the world series the rockies did not in the 90s, didn't you? No. You won in the 90s. You won in 97. No, the Florida Marlins. You're thinking of the Colorado Avalanche. Hmm, maybe. I thought they won it in the 90s and they no. lost. They no, made no, no, no. We've never, we've never won the World Series. With Todd Helton? No. Really? No. Are you playing with me right now? No. Are we, no, are I'm we, not. Are we both having mental... No. No, no. It's interesting. No, it's interesting you bring that up because I don't, I don't consider the Rockies an expansion team too much anymore. It's been long enough. They're not. Um, And I think Vegas is probably going to get a team here. They'll all think of them as an expansion team. I mean, I don't consider the the Royals have been around since before I was born, and I know they're new-ish, but we got like fifty. 50 years of history now so it's kind of you know I'll be honest if it wasn't if I can't trace the origins of the team back to World War II I think all those teams are kind of like they feel differently does that make sense I know what you mean like we're recording this a a day or two after the Texas Rangers won the World Series the Mm -hmm. Texas Rangers feel like an expansion team even though they've been in existence for many many years they were playing the Arizona Diamondbacks also it feels like an expansion team Uh, yeah they're one of the I just have this I have this weird thing about baseball teams where unless they were like 
over a hundred years ago where they started playing. I always kind of feel like they're expansion teams. Huh. Sounds That's like it. you just still for the Reds. What's that? You're Sounds still like going for the Reds then? Because right. your team doesn't count. Hey, I don't know. Let me let me throw the question back at you. What's your biggest heart heartbreak with the uh, Kansas City Royals? Where so with baseball, and it's not my biggest sports heartbreak because of what happened the next year, but in 2014, the Royals made it to Game 7 of the World Series and lost the very end of Game 7. A, three, a game had been 3-2 three and t- three to two since, I believe, the third inning. Just back and forth. No one was scoring. We needed one more run. And the, the San Francisco Giants pitcher just threw a great game. And... Uh, was I that watching game. that game with you? No, I was watching it alone in my house. Now, the next year, I was... The next year... I was the catalyst. The next year, we turned around and won it all. So because, it kind of... Because of me, the, right? Yeah. I well, taught yeah, you how to root watched. for your team. I taught you how to have expectations of winning. I did. That's the first game. You came watched it and was fun. Oh, let me set the stage a little bit. So the Royals had been, in my lifetime, they won one World Series in 1985. That was before I was born. I was one year old. That's, I don't remember. That's it. against I the Cardinals, up, right? Against the Cardinals, yeah. And I grew up hearing stories about that team, and I saw George Brett. Like, when I was a kid, we'd go to games, and I'd see George Brett at the tail end of his career play. And I'd always hear stories about the old team's from the the seventies and eighties that were really good, yeah. But then my whole lifetime that I grew up watching, they weren't very good. They had fun players, and I had my like baseball cards and my favorite guys, uh, Brian McRae, Mike McFarland, people like that. Uh, anyway, so they in twenty thirteen they pop up out of nowhere and kind of like start looking okay. They make the playoffs in twenty fourteen for the first time in my lifetime that I can remember. And then they don't lose in the playoffs until the World Series. They take the World Series to Game 7. They're down one run. The, the, the Giants pitcher is just killing it. We can't get anybody on base. We can't get anything going. Alex Gordon hits a ball, obviously a double, deep into the corner. Of, I think it was right, like deep into the outfield. And he's just sprinting. He's going to make it to third. The the Giants guy bobbles the ball and is like, are they going to send him home? Everybody in the stadium here, they thought, is it going to be an inside the park home run? Held him at third. There was two outs. The next guy up had a home run off of Baumgartner, the Giants pitcher, in game one. And so it's like, here we go. Here we go. And perfect end to the magical season. And Salvador Perez pops up and the game ends. It's just like, whoa, what happened? So that was probably the biggest baseball heartache that I've seen. And like I say, the next year kind of helps with that because we just wire to wire the best team and won the World Series in five games. But, and then they just dropped up the face of the earth and we were terrible again. We lost a hundred games this year. So, but for two years, it was just magically like, whoa, what happened? I'm not used to my baseball team being good. And on that note, Welcome to the Rule Be Books, a podcast about books and baseball. I'm Peter, joined as always by Matt. If you're if you're wondering, this is going to be a very baseball heavy episode. Um, I just had to put the intro in there, Matt. I had to get us. I, I love talking ball with you. I love hearing your stories. Um, I got one more for I'll, whenever. Okay. Uh, you can probably tell from the title of this episode, we'll be talking about the classic book from 1970, Ball Four by Jim Bouton. Uh, but overall, we're just kind of talking baseball and kind of where it fits in with our life. Um, before I ask you about your next story, I, I was thinking about my history and sort of when I would feel like heartache would like hit me the most with baseball, like, oh, my team lost or whatever. Strangely enough, the most baseball I watched when I was a young kid would probably be the Chicago Cubs on WGN. For some reason, the Cubs, every home game was on WGN, and it was just a station mm-hmm. that we had. And I grew, up, games, yeah. Yeah, I grew up liking Ryan Sandberg and Andre Dawson were my two favorite players yeah. growing up. And then the Rockies came in and and sort of the Blake Street Bombers and 
and uh, larger than life figures, Andres Galarraga, Dante Bichette, um, were sort of my sort of my players. But I don't know. I never felt. I don't know. I never expected them to be very good. Uh, and so I I couldn't remember a time where I felt absolute heartbreak when the Rockies lost, which is funny because that's. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, you would think a team that always loses you. Maybe I just became numb to it. Uh, but Yeah. I think you have to almost get there too. Like the Red Sox with that Buckner thing. It's like, they were close. They can't, you know, I think you have to come this close and constantly fail, you know, for it to, for it to sting. So if you have low expectations, maybe. And I, I don't know. I, I keep coming back to this. It always feels like when you're a fan of an expand or like a newer team, you're like joining the party as it's like already in like already happening. So you kind of, my opinion, you feel like I can't be like this super fan where like, I can't be like, Oh, this uh, I'm devastated. We lost in our second season. when Someone's been a fan and their grandfather hasn't seen them win the world series or something like that. Oh, okay. I think I know what you mean. Uh, so I've always been, you know, good seasons are a bonus. Bad seasons are kind of expected. The games are fun. Uh, I wish, and we'll get into this with, when we discuss the book. I like a team with character, flawed baseball players that aren't like perfect baseball players. And I think there's a bit of an issue with baseball where it's all, you know, metrics and all this sort of stuff. And players that were probably, you know, the analytics say are, weren't that good were were wildly entertaining to me as a kid growing up with the Rockies. Like the Rockies had this very flawed team, no pitching and all hitting, but it was a fantastic team that drew millions of fans to the, to the ballpark. And I think there is something to that, to baseball where you want characters, you want flawed teams that are entertaining. You don't want boring, bad teams, I guess, which is kind of where, where the Rockies are right now. Um, uh, do you have an ideal kind of baseball team, Matt, to root for? Do you want characters or do you want a quote unquote perfection, like good, solid base? Because I kind of like flawed, weird teams. Oh, I love speaking. I'm glad you brought that up because the, the Royals team I just mentioned, the 2014, 2015 guys, they were exactly like what you're talking about. The analytics people were baffled. Even the like the Royals fan. Your manager was like, they hated. Yeah, they hated him. They hate him. And it's like, it's literally impossible for him to do better. We just won the World Series. <laughs> and they just like hate it. Like they hated him so much. It's like, well, but we stole bases. We did all this little dink and dunk stuff. Every now and then we'd hit a home run. Guys had goofy stances. We had this guy, Terrence Gore, who was, if he was on, he was like, he was going to steal a base. He was so fast. It was just really fun to watch. And stuff started clicking. And it was just, playoff baseball when your team's in it is almost the most fun thing to watch in sports. I think I would, it's almost more fun than like football, the football playoffs. It is um, pretty fun because it has a strange flow to it. Right. And everything is intense. Nothing good could happen when you're pitching. It's all bad. Well, and then when you go like, yeah, you can strike strike out, but like you can't score runs or whatever. When you're hitting, it's all, come on, come on. Like there is this weird dynamic where you, your, your brain has to shift every half inning, which makes it, it during playoff baseball is fantastic. It's great. Uh, oh, but that, and that Royals team, we had, uh, everybody does it all the time now, but I believe we we're some of the first to, uh, we had a seventh inning guy, eighth inning guy, ninth inning guy, different guy each time coming out fresh. And they were almost uh, unhittable. Like they had a really, really, I, mean, I believe it was below one, like a really low ERA. Uh, Herrera, Davis, Holland. Yeah. There you Good go. stuff. Yeah. My favorite Rockies teams in my memory, they could all hit. I, I can't remember a good pitcher in my life. I, when I went to the first spring training, our, our number one pick, David Need, I got his autograph. He was terrible. That was bad. Hard to pitch at altitude. Hard to pitch at altitude. Like I was David Need. Look him up. I wonder what he's doing. Google him. Uh, But I love those teams just for they would win games in the tenth inning, hitting home runs. They weren't. They didn't win a lot of games, but they were 
very entertaining. They had, actually, when you go through the roster, like Larry Walker, Dante, but like all these team players that I don't know if the average sports fan would remember, they were fantastic. They couldn't hit on the road. That was kind of always the the the, uh, the rub yeah, against them. Yeah, but they were they were a wildly entertaining team. Uh, I went to a game this year, and it was a it was a dud. No entertaining players. Everyone was uh, kind of the fault of the, the sort of the ownership and the management that they don't really want to spend money. So you don't have players that you can kind of, you know, season after season get to know, you know, know their faults, know their strengths, all that kind of good stuff. Um, do you want to get into the book, Matt? Or Because uh, yeah. I think Go on. Um, one more story for the end, the best okay. game I've ever been to. But we'll space it out. We'll get into the books for the non-sports people. Uh, the book is Ball Four. Uh, it's a book I, we nominated over on our Patreon many, many months ago. We've decided to move sort of the sports books over to our normal episode. So if you're wondering when we added this to our TBR, that's when. I've been I've I've heard about this book for a long time. Uh, it's sort of this very famous uh, book that kind of gets. You know, it's 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 a little taboo. Would you say it's a it's a? It was it, it, it was, was taboo. Like, you know, like it was a bit. I didn't realize it kind of spilled the beans a bit on uh, a behind the scenes look. It was kind of ahead of its time. Uh, like I said, it was published in 1970. It's detailing the, the season of 1969. Uh, Jim Bouton is our author. He's a pitcher on the Seattle pilots, a team I did not know actually existed and it only yeah. existed for one year before moving to Milwaukee and becoming the Milwaukee Brewers. Uh, yeah. He is a pitcher sort of at the uh, kind of fork in the road in his career. He's, he's kind of, maybe he'll make the minor league team. He might not make the major league team. He, yeah, he just is. turned 30. He used to throw, heat he's still a good fastball in the he used to be pitching for the new york new york yankees and he won a world series he won he did really well for two seasons but he's 30 he's injured he can't throw hard anymore and so he's experimenting with a knuckleball and trying to make trying to make the seattle pilot trust which i don't know when you were growing up the knuckleball was always always this fascinating pitch why don't more people throw it why can't catchers catch it uh it still fascinates me to this day. Like I would, cool I, to read about I always tried to throw it. I could throw it maybe like 10 miles an hour. And I did, I'm like, I don't even understand how this works. Uh, but it's, it's a pitch. I feel like it makes baseball what it is that there's this weird pitch that maybe five guys at any given time are throwing. Yeah. For some reason it doesn't tire out your arm. Uh, it's just, it's kind of, I don't know. It, it, it's, it's a, it's kind of a – if you're from a different country and reading about baseball, I think you'd be like, what is this pitch and why is it so weird? And you can't really explain why it's so weird. It's just kind of – I don't know. That's kind of cool. Well, because most balls go 90 to 100 miles per hour. And this one goes 60. 60, maybe. but it moves. It move. It doesn't it spin. Knuckles. It has like, no spin on it. And so it's really hard for players to hit, especially everybody who's at that level is used to hitting the really hard stuff. So it's it's interesting. It's an interesting little strategic quirk. Yeah. And more people don't do it because it turns out like Bounds, it was pretty entertaining to read about how much he had to throw and how much he had to fight his coaches to be able to practice. And it could hurt. It can like break fingers because it moves around so much. So none of the catchers wanted to catch it. It was all fascinating stuff. And so, yeah, people don't, it, more people don't do it because it's tricky to get the hang of. There's all this stuff that goes with it. But Bounton seems like a pretty stubborn guy. And he loved, it seems like he like deep down loved baseball and just couldn't give it up. And so he just determined, he was determined to like, I'm going to do this new thing and try to hang around as long as so, I can. Yeah. And Bowden is, um, and the book is a kind of a day by day account almost uh, of the season. Um, he gets traded near the end of the season to the Houston Astros and kind of joins a pennant race that kind of falls apart. But it is, an unfiltered look at I'll say this. <laughs> I don't know if some of the stuff we can't really get into because it's a little yeah. uh, crass. 
Um, he, he doesn't paint everybody in the best light. And a lot of the, some of the stuff in the book has really aged very poorly. I don't think it was all that acceptable at the time. Uh, but I, I was going to say, I don't, I think it, some of it came off as pretty tame, except for the one the what's just called the people. The some of the players were like peeping toms. Yes, and they used the vantage point of being down low to look at up women's skirts. Basically, that oh. that was a thing, but that wasn't acceptable then, and it's no. aged really poorly. But other than that, it's not like I'm not shocked that ball. And I would be shocked. Sort of, drink. I would say the headlining thing. Stuff. Other than that, is the uh, what's called greenies, the amphetamines that they take, yeah. uh, which is just like an open that's they make jokes about it and it's kind of referenced throughout the book. That wasn't really discussed uh, a whole lot. Um, my favorite aspect of the book actually is how he sort of pokes fun and makes fun of just how silly the advice is that, that baseball coaches give to the players. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Almost that, Hey, this is a high ball hitter. You can't throw it high. You can't throw it high. So you got to throw it low. Mm-hmm. And then when you throw it low and he gets hit, he goes, well, you know he's gonna. He knows he's, you're gonna throw it low, so you can't do it. And it's just like this catch twenty two yeah. almost throughout the book of these coaches are kind of. There's only so much you can really tell a baseball player what to do in a lot of ways. Um, yeah. and so some of it's a lot of it's kind of random, um, but I. Well, I I noted that part where he's talking like shouting at the players as yeah. a coach. It's kind of like job protection, right? Because if they do like, you know, hey, you know, low inside or whatever you yell at them and they do that, that's great. You look like a good coach. If it doesn't work out, the coach can be like, ah, well, I told them to, you know, <laughs> and so they're really loud about it. Not because they're actually helping you because they want their their manager to uh, think they're doing a good job. And that uh, that was my favorite. And that's not really like a revelation because he did. Bowden kind of kind of got blackballed from baseball a little bit like this was not a was well considered- re- well received like in the baseball circles yeah um, best it did really well is a bestseller yes for a long time and um, yeah, yeah then there's you know they kind of talk about the drinking and uh some other aspects it was the first I, I remember even like with me growing up i kind of knew mickey mantle drank a lot mm-hmm. that was kind of a thing i guess this is one of the first things that made that public mickey mantle was like a an icon and then Bouton tells a story of when he when Bouton was with the Yankees Mickey Mantle had just a gigantic hangover the whole time and he goes out and hits a home run and then Bouton goes up to uh Mantle afterwards is like you were not feel like you were hungover as all get out how did you hit a home run and Mantle just goes I aim for the middle ball (laughs) Uh, so that was like the big, and then you know, supposedly Mickey Mantle was mad at him for a long time because he put that in the book, and it was you know, reach uh, the clubhouse etiquette, I guess. And I, there is something with baseball and sort of maintaining up until this point, maybe in sort of like America's game, like it had this importance and it had this sort of gravitas to it that Bowden doesn't really seem to like bow down to is the best way I could put it. Like he doesn't, he, he makes these guys real. Um, one of the trickier parts coming to this book. Um, what are we now? 50 years after the fact is you're not going to know a lot of the players. Um, it, it's, it's a bit confusing a, a, a little bit as far as um, I think that if we were sort of baseball fans at that time, you would probably get more out of this book, maybe in a, in a way. I uh, actually, I don't. I didn't feel that way. I oh. thought it was cool when I recognized, like Lou Pinella came Lou up. Pinella, Joe Morgan. Lou Pinella, Joe Morgan. Yeah, I knew Lou Pinella as a coach. Uh, Joe Torre came up. They made fun of Torre for being ugly. I was like, oh, I know Joe Torre coached. <laughs> so I thought it was cool when a player did come up. I think what Willie Mays was still playing. Willie Mays. He had a story about Willie Mays. So I just. That didn't bother me, and I thought, like, oh, cool, I recognize, I recognize that name. I, I just think if uh, if this was written today, and I was following baseball as closely as I did when I was a kid, I think I would have gotten more out of it. But maybe you're right. Um, so that was a little bit confusing. I really like, I, What's that? 
Oh, I was gonna say, I really liked it. I, I really now, yeah. I have a conundrum for you, Matt. Okay. Uh, I read this on my Kindle. Okay. Um, there are many different editions to this book, and what I mean by ask. that is there is the original edition that is from 1970. He revised this book, I believe, three or four times, maybe even more than that. We got to eight, I think. Okay. Ball five, ball six. There's seven or eight. Yeah. I stopped. I just read the original. Um, and I'm I'm curious and I want to see your take. Did I actually read the whole book? Because yeah, I think I I don't know. Like if he keeps he has since passed away a few years ago, but I don't feel like is this like some sort of history book that just keeps getting updated that because literally when I finished the book, I was like, I was a little bit confused on the Kindle tells you how much like percentage wise you're done with the book. I'm like, I'm done with the book, but it says I am 75% done yeah. with the book. And I'm, I kind of was looking through sort of like ball five, so to speak. And I was like, do I really need to read this or should I just judge it based off of the original text? And so I just kind of stopped. Um, did you read the the full like, you know, 10 years after, 20 years after, 30 yep. years after? Did you read all those? I did. Okay. And it was good. You're fine just reading ball four, but let me get into it because it gets okay. It was the same with me. I did audio and he read it, which actually maybe part of the reason I like he's a good narrator and it was like 20 hours long. So I'm just with him for 20 hours. It was good. And let me so ball five, he was a sportscaster for a little bit and then he makes a comeback. He like befriended Ted Turner. Oh, and like worked his way into the Atlanta Braves minor league system and did well enough. He got as a 39 year old got oh, really? called back up and pitched a few games for the Braves in the late seventies. So he makes it. So, and that was fascinating. That was, there are worthwhile updates. I think okay. you're, you're fine. And then the sixth one, did you know he created big league chew? I saw that in a blurb and I didn't under, I didn't. he talks That's... about that in the ball six. He was like a little entrepreneur, like, you know, inventing little trinkets and stuff, but he co-created Big League Chew. Hmm. I did not know that. I didn't know that either. And then the seventh chapter was very, it was sad. It was very sad, but it kind of cemented like my opinion of him is like, he's a good, like a very good writer who just happened to be an athlete. You know what I mean? So, so his daughter died in a car wreck oh, no. in 97 so when she was like 30 something and mm -hmm. he was old and it just like it starts off like i'm not the same guy what like it was very and he's reading it and so he's tearing up as he's giving this account of his daughter dying and everything that led up to it it's mm. very moving he's just kind of bearing his soul on the page and it was and i'm walking my i'm like listening to it on my walks with my son and my dog and I'm kind of like tearing up. <clears throat> it's like, oh man, this is so. I'm like speeding home because I don't want to run into any neighbors. I don't want to explain to them, like, I don't talk to them, like why I'm crying. I'm crying because of the oh, small, huh. you know. Anyway, but it was, it was, it was, it was like a little. Okay, and then I, the, it was. Is there worth reading? I'm not. Gonna I was wondering you. if it was just going to be like, well, back in my day, baseball was different, and this, that, and the other. And I was like, I don't know if I really need all that. I, I thought. Am I okay saying I've read Ball Four if I've just read the original yeah. text of yep. Four? Because that was the big one okay. that made him famous. And he was actually it's interesting. He was actually kind of he gets like the the players make a whole lot more money even in the '90s when he was writing the updates than they did back then. And there's a good case to be made. Ball Four kind of spurred that. Because one of the one of the more fascinating things about the original version is, it was the first time the public got a glimpse at how contracts works, and the players didn't have free agency. They didn't really have sports agents, which are basically like a lawyer or somebody looking over their contracts. And they made like a lot, like you know, twenty thousand dollars in the sixties is a lot of money, but it's nowhere near enough to live on for the rest of your life, like the guys make now. 
And so a lot of the contract disputes, that was part of the thing that was public that the league didn't like. Because the league also didn't like ball four and they made it seem like it was for etiquette and stuff. But Jim Bounton said in interviews, and I, I believe him, he thinks the league hated it because it showed the public just how like jerked around the ball players were. It's a, so you can make a direct that's a great point. point. Actually, when I come to think of it, that's probably the most eye-opening aspect of the book. If I mean, there's kind of there's some the unsavory stuff it is what it is, um, but sort of the contract stuff and how they kind of got more a little bit more rights, and then the the kind of management or the the owners would couch it, be like, "Oh, I guess we'll give you." Um, you know, X, you know, $10,000. And it's like, we'll give you a raise when it's actually mandated that everyone had to get bumped up just like a little bit of money. They would always do these things where they would like act like they're doing the, the ball player a favor when in reality it was, they were legally required to do X, Y, and Z. That's just, mm-hmm. and they were, they, they couched it as, Oh, you know, we're taking care of you. We're, we're, we're giving you a little bit of extra money. We're some some movie money and stuff like that. Because the book, not to make it sound like playing baseball like it was a hard life in like 1969, but man, if you got cut and you had to go live in some AAA t- town that you didn't have, there were there's some stories in the book where you're just like, you feel for the guys, and it's like, oh, ah, yeah, man, that's really, like- that's not great. That sucks because <laughs> they. <laughs> It's a lot. It's kind of surprising because when we read um, Eight Men Out, we talked about this how ownership really like the ball players had no real rights and sort of. There's a reason they were willing to throw the game because they. Got... Yeah, it didn't seem like all that much changed. <laughs> really, in, in fifty years from nineteen, yeah. you know, nineteen to nineteen sixty nine, it, it's not yeah. wildly different. Uh, the players I, had was well, the players had no leverage. They was frowned upon to talk about contracts in the press. The teams encouraged the players not to talk to each other about salary, so they couldn't, you know. And so it was just kind of a. And so one of the things, the one of the ironies, the commissioner of baseball at the time is Bowie Coon, Bowie Coon, whatever his name is. When it came, when it you know it became news that Bowden's going to publish a book. Bowie Kuhn cowled Bounton into his office and told him, you know, not to publish it. And Bounton thinks that that's what made it a bestseller because that called attention. The media got a hold of like this commissioner, the commissioner's calling this guy in, tell him not to publish his book. And then everybody was like, well, what's going to be in the book? The publisher originally had a, a you know a first edition print run of 5,000 copies after the meeting with the commissioner leaked. It was like 50,000. Oh, really? And people were like, oh, what don't they want me to know? And it just, that kind of catalyzed it. And then that leads in, Bounton thinks they they talked about being offended about breaking the code of the locker room. But he's like, oh, no, ownership for the first time ever, their management tactics were made public to millions of people. And that's why, that's why, that's why the commissioner and the owners hated it. And I, I actually, I buy that. I think that's probably I true. I think that's fair. And it's, I think we live in a time where we're like professional athletes have too much power in professional sports. They make a ton of money. They can, you know, uh, send in trade requests, all these things, X, Y, and Z in all sports. I think the alternative, like going back to what they, these guys had in nineteen like seventies and 60s, it's like, I can't, I would prefer the players to have it. It's not, ideal you know for players to kind of request trades but it seemed like all these guys were on one-year deals is, this, yeah. is that the sense you got like every year it was sort of like let's if have a contract negotiation and yeah the if you want to with this guy and and sort of yeah it's uh um, yeah yeah i could see how kind of players from this generation would could be annoyed by players from you know, today or, you know, earlier 2000s, 90s, that kind of stuff where it's just... Well, let me say, Bounton in the, the updated edition, he's not like that. He's a, Oh, really? A okay. Yeah, no, no, he's not a cranky old man. He he, he was an interesting guy. I He grew on me. I, you like him as a person, especially if you listen to audiobook. 
Okay. But no, he was very like good for you guys. He wasn't complaining. He did say what did he? He was talking about how with his he he said players nowadays are like thoroughbred horses with all the training and the nutrition and all the scientific stuff they know. And he says we were farm animals. So he said, of course, if we played each other as we were then versus them now, they would destroy us. Yeah. But you know, you give Mickey Mantle the same training program as the players now had and he'd be great so that was kind of his take but he wasn't like a cranky old man yelling at the young kids today i'm curious what he would think of the because i don't think he ever saw the rule changes like the new stuff that they introduced with the pitch clock no he did um because i i could see i can kind of understand both sides of that argument i kind of i think it's i kind of there are aspects that i like a lot more than the than others but i don't think i have a really strong opinion about any of it um because baseball is a sport that really is doesn't like change my one thing with baseball and i i don't know they they won't ever change this they play way too few or they play way too many games in the regular season and then the postseason it's such a small sample size that i don't feel like they've expanded the playoffs to to include more teams and i understand that but it almost dilutes the importance of the regular season and it's like why do you play so many games if the regular season actually isn't that important does that make sense yeah i'm kind of with i think they should actually expand the playoffs a bit make those early games full series and then it will never happen because they make about six million bucks per game per team at, a, at the at the gate as they call it so they'll never get rid of it but they should go to like 130 120 130 games still uh, a lot still fills up a summer but they don't need to do 162 i i heard this um thing on, on a podcast recently where if they were talking about baseball playoffs and if it was to be like if you expect like the expected best team to win or like like how the nba is like usually the best team usually wins over a seven game series or whatnot. If the length that baseball would have to play and how random the sport is compared to like other sports, to get a good sample size of how to choose the best team in a series, they would have to play like 81 games (laughs) is what these like mathematicians figured out, which is not realistic. Right. But that just sort of, when you play three games or five games, it's really sometimes luck and so back sure. in the day it was only four teams that made the playoffs right or like six teams like but like the race. it was the yeah, yeah. race and it was like you played that and then you went to the world series so it was it, but i understand why they can't do that now because so many teams would just be like playing for nothing for half the year and exactly. no one would show up so i understand why they, they they've added teams to the playoff but they there's it i don't know what the solution is i guess is what i'm saying but uh yeah just expand the playoffs good marketing playoff baseball's fun they'll be fine uh i think they should you remember name and out it was a nine game series yeah they should bump the world series back up to nine games best of best of nine best of so nine. First, team to, first team to five instead of four why I'll not milk it I think this should also in- incorporate maybe like a, a double header at some point. Yeah. Cause baseball, I don't think they do double headers, double headers all that often, but it used to be my dad always talks about him and his dad watching uh, the Yankees, like a double header and falling asleep in the second game. And then my grandmother would change the channel and they would wake up and be like, what, what? <laughs> but I don't know. Like a double header is always appeal. You know what? The, the wild card. Those first wild card rounds should be double headers. Oh, that's very good. Oh, that's perfect. That's that's a good idea. Yeah. They expand it, but it's not so as not to get ridiculous. They do. So how about headers. this? The wild card is. I don't know how this would work. So it's the best of three, right? Right now. Yeah. So the first day you do a double header. So technically, someone yeah. could win. Like, you could wrap it series up in one day. In one day. Yeah. Or maybe there's tomorrow for the third, but ooh, yeah. I like so it. if you double split the double header, then you have to go to the next. That's um, I think we've solved. Right. There's some strategy too. Like yeah. you're gonna, your pitcher's got to go the same day. 
Yeah. Or do you, you know, you, 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 you're down a few runs and you won that first game. Do you try to come back and win the second? And if you do, and you don't win, you've kind of set yourself. I don't Do you use your second, like your second really good pitcher for the second game? If you, you lose the first, or do you like pull, you pull them and you're going to save them for the, uh, I think that might be our best idea game. ever. We've had some That's really weird game. ideas for sports. Radio Wild card game. doubleheader Tuesday. Yes. Yeah. Oh, what if you had like three series going on at once? You or you split it out to the each Maybe you split it up. But you know, yeah. yeah. I think that's electric. That's electric idea, Matt. I'm gonna write a letter. Somebody you need to write a letter. Um, any other highlights? Things? I mean, yeah. The book anecdotes. is full of uh, anecdotes, basically, and, and stories. Um, what are your, a few of your favorites, Matt? So I liked uh, when he talked about this is back back in the day, uh, spring training. The coaches liked you to come in shape, showed that you were ready to ready to go. Especially like you said, a lot of these guys are on one year contracts, and it's a big deal whether or not they make the team. And so if you weren't in shape but wanted to look like you're in shape, bounce out guys just get it in because that makes it look like you're in shape. You know? Yeah. So that was clever. You don't actually have to be in shape, just come with a tan. People That's think cool. you're working out. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite ones was uh is a story from back when he was with the Yankees playing with Roger Maris. And I guess somebody had done something put a negative story that the press had written about Jim Bouton on like the team's bulletin board kind of anonymously. It was kind of a little dig at Bouton and Bouton could never figure out who did it. He always suspected it was Roger Maris or this other guy, but he couldn't prove it. You know, it's like one of those weird things. And it, so like a couple weeks after this had been up on the board, he went up to Roger Maris and somebody else just kind of friendly chit chat and said, boy, I wish I could get the gutless coward who put that thing on the Bolton board. And Roger Maris says, uh, told you I didn't put it on the Bolton board and don't call me gutless. <laughs> he doesn't come right on say it, but you can tell Bound thought Maris is kind of an idiot. Uh, yeah, Maris doesn't like, there are a couple, because the book is yeah. Pilots, Astros, but a lot of like Yankee stories. Because that was kind of like reminiscing. And there were some the guys on that team were Maris, Mantle, you know. So. Um, I thought it's curious. Bowden, this book kind of makes him an outsider, but he is sort of different than a lot of ball players, just from like his, his interests and what he like. He goes to the art museum on off days and he who he like associates with. So he like even before he writes this book, he's sort of an interesting character. Um, he so he makes it like a, yeah, yeah, kind of. Um, not your typical ball player from the 1960s. Um, well, he talks about reading and how that kind of set him apart because he would like read a book on the bus or wherever. And I, yeah, other guys. One of my highlights says the sad truth about baseball, I'm afraid, is that there's not enough in it to occupy occupy a, a mind a man's mind. So, as a result, they take the little things and blow them up. Yeah, that's that's the, I have that same quote written down. I just wrote down the the yeah. sentence. Yeah. No, that's a good quote. Um the New York Public Library put it on their list of the hundred most important books of the 20th century. Yeah. I didn't realize how big a deal. I'm glad you nominated this. I didn't realize how big a deal it was. Because I don't think there's any book before this that goes into um, there, there was one written in 1959 that wasn't as juicy but it was and it did you know it was a picture doing behind the scenes stuff i forget what it, i blank on what it's called but there was one and for whatever reason it didn't set, take off quite as well um but yeah this is the first and like i say a lot of the stuff in it, it it's it's kind of tame for nowadays i don't think it would surprise anybody you know, I think you know, it's not if it was written like an updated version, not just by Bouton, but like what does baseball look like to net like 
now. I think you would obviously we would kind of we would have skipped over the steroid generation, right? I think the book written during the steroid generation would be kind of fascinating. Um, Jose Canseco wrote one. Yeah, I don't know how just probably yeah, not as well written. Someone else other than Canseco. I'm always kind of fascinated, and this book kind of deals with it, just sort of the different cultures in baseball. Uh, and speaking today, just sort of like, how does like a clubhouse work with just people from? Is it the most like sort of diverse? Because you got all the like Latin American countries. I guess you get get Latin American countries and like Americans. Uh, but I always thought it was interesting, just because I never felt like white baseball players in America were like the most open-minded, like curious to know about other cultures. I could be completely wrong about that, but that's just sort of the stereotype in a lot of ways. Sure. Um, but they seemingly just like get along and, and play with guys from, you know, Venezuela, Dominican Republic, Cuba. I always thought that was just kind of an interesting aspect of baseball. It seems sort of conservative in a way. Would you agree with that? Or I think I know where you're headed. Like there probably are some dudes like that, but I also think that might be a little unfair. I think okay, yeah, I, I, I fully admit that's to, probably unfair. But you get uh, to a professional level, I think you kind of well, baseball just has this like when you think about baseball, just like the struggle of like let's say Jackie Robinson to like break in. And that's more of a, like a symbolism of the country as a whole, but, and the book kind of touches on sort of the race aspect of baseball in the 1960s. It doesn't go too in depth, like just sort of how the pilot, like the Seattle pilots dealt with it versus the Houston Astros. There's a slight difference, but um, I don't know. I always kind of thought that was interesting, but yeah. A guy, if somebody came out and did something like this, and they, I don't, I'm trying to, they have to be as good of a writer because Bowden's a very good writer. Um, yeah, if a good a, a baseball player happens to be a good writer, did one of these things, I'd gladly read it. Um, I'd be curious what the time, I mean, I don't know what, what would be shocking. Yeah. Anymore, you know, I don't, there's with all the social media and the internet and stuff, I don't know that, but, but it would be interesting, an observant guy who would kind of, who notices people's interactions and how players get along, how multimillionaires who are basically mercenary businessmen, you know, brands unto themselves interact with each other and was willing to kind of broach that, you know, like if it was from the Phillies, a year with the Phillies, like how does Bryce Harper, who makes $400 million over 10 years, like how does he interact with his teammate? Like, Somebody just the dynamics of how baseball works now, I think would be fascinating to read about if there's someone out there who's a good enough writer to pull it off. I don't know that that will happen, but I would, if somebody did that, I'd be first in line to read it. I agree. Cause it's a different kind of book than what ball four is, but there's just, different, there's just different questions that are different stories to be told. Right. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. The players get paid more. So you're not going to get like, ownership screwing with the players and not getting paid and and they're going to be a little bit more protective of their image and all this stuff but there is there is something to that uh, of there's still a story to be told i guess about baseball just somebody observant enough to to what it's like now my one critique of the book okay is there's so many baseball games that i could i could have done with a little fewer like descriptions of how baseball games like oh. yeah. See, I, I liked know. it. It was a year. It was he, he was keeping notes all year. I, I know it's a year, but that was my one. Like I, I'll be honest. I don't care how game one twenty one. How you? I don't know. That's my one. Yeah. My one. So, uh, Matt, do you want to end on your the most exciting baseball game you uh, ever attended? A couple more things, and then yes. Okay. Just a couple more <laughs> random things. Well, so. I noticed possible connection here. Uh, baseball players, girlfriends, who not their steady girlfriends, but a girl who waits for a certain player in a city, groupies, basically. Mm-hmm. Slang for them in Bounton's era, there were baseball annies. You know what Susan's Car- Susan Sarandon's character's name in Bull Durham was? Annie? Annie. That's got to uh, be a little. That's got to be a. Yeah, that's a little weak to have her that's name. That. Be. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. she's the epitome of that type of 
anyway, cool connection. You know, I like those. Right. You're always searching for them. I think that's a that's a good one. I think that's right? that's a right? legitimate connection. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, speaking of our last patron, Eight Men Out that we did, written by Elliot Asimov. Mm-hmm. Did you know Jim Bowden and Elliot Asimov co-wrote a novel together? I did not know that. For it's real. A, it's not what's a, the novel it's called? Not a setup. Strike Zone. Strike Zone. Sounds halfway decent. It is about an umpire who's throwing a base who's been paid to throw a baseball game. Okay. Asimov wrote and it switches perspectives from the umpire who's throwing the game and the pitcher who's pitching the game that the umpire's throwing. Bouton wrote the pitcher scenes. Asnov wrote the umpire scenes or chapters. Interesting. Sounds halfway decent. Sounds halfway decent. I'd be curious. Isn't that a weird coincidence too? Like that is kind a of random these books, and these two guys co-wrote. And I didn't know they were similar contemporaries enough yeah, to, he, to yeah. write a book. Anyway, that was a cool tidbit. And then one more. Give me one more. Yeah. Hey. Well, okay. So a new thing maybe we could do for books we read, because we have enough uh, a body of work for all the books we've read. Mm-hmm. We could start doing at the end. Instead of, is this be a good movie? Because we don't know enough actors to make that a fun segment. And a lot of the times it's like, nah, don't make a movie. You guys don't know how to make good movies anymore. So instead of is this a movie? Let's do, what's it like? What's this book comparable to of the other books we've read? And I think this one is a pretty obvious one, but I think this is on par with Kitchen Confidential. A okay. guy That's, yeah. who was professional at some random field, cook, a chef, or and a pitcher, just happens to be a very, very good writer and publishes a book that is very, very successful and kind of blows the that, lid off the that I can't top that. That's a perfect... I mean, that's the most... And that's, that's the, the most, most... Yeah, because Kitchen Confidential kind of was like a breakthrough, like, a, oh, I didn't know that like, chefs were like this. And for this book, people didn't know like baseball players were... Exactly. Flawed. And it kind of propelled them both into fame. Do you know Jim Bowden was in a movie? Have you ever seen The Long Goodbye? I've not seen the Long Elliot... Oh, it's good. It's a good movie. I'd watched it a couple of years ago. Elliot Gould plays the Philip Marlowe. It's a ra- based okay. on Raymond Chandler. And you wouldn't think Elliot Gould is like a 70s update. It's a Robert Altman movie. So you wouldn't think, oh, Elliot Gould's playing a Raymond Chandler detective. That doesn't, but it's actually very good. Hmm. I didn't realize when I watched, you know who plays the, winds up being the bad guy? But Philip Marlowe's friend at the beginning is Jim Bowden. Jim Bowden. I went back and watched Long Goodbye because he talks about it in one of the updated uh, hmm. chapters. He was the he was the he was in the Long Goodbye. So he got to be in movies. He was sportscaster. Had a very interesting life. Yeah, very yeah. interesting, huh? He yeah, a lot of stories. I wonder how much did like. Did he ever mention like what had to be taken out of the book? He said that uh, he a lot of the racial stuff. Okay, that the player said he left that out. He just decided that might be too far. Might have, he didn't want to ruin any guys. He, gotcha. he wanted to give a good. He wanted to give an impression of what it was like. He said he didn't. He didn't write the book to do good for baseball, but he didn't do it to do anything okay. bad. for baseball he just wanted to tell it what it was like but he drew the line at the racial stuff and some of the uh esca- sexual escapades the players had he decided to leave it anonymous if you'll notice he doesn't say this person did this. yeah he, those escapades are anonymous and i thought that you know what you got to draw a line somewhere and he just decided to draw his line he'll tell the mickey mantle hangover story but i, I thought that actually seemed kind of fair okay. to me okay that's know. fair but I'm I'm on his side. I'm I, I I thought he was a I was impressed by his writing ability. Interesting life. I liked the way he looked. Like he had a sense of humor that I wasn't expecting. Uh, it's funny. Very funny. Kind of very. He, the way he looked at sort of baseball, baseball culture was fascinating. Um, if you're a baseball fan, you have to read this book. I would say 
This is I yeah. would say one of the more important books about like just baseball. Um, mm-hmm. Gives you good background on sort of the time. So, and I think there's something if you're not a huge baseball fan, there is kind of there's he's a he's a good storyteller that you'll there's something to gain from the book as well. So there's enough there to make it interesting. Yeah. Um, Matt, are you ready for the final question? Most yeah. exciting baseball game you've ever been to. Okay. So I was, I could, I could probably look up the exact day. I was probably like nine or 10. My dad took me to a one o'clock in the afternoon game, the Royals versus the Rangers. You know, who's pitching Royals versus the, Oh, did you see Nolan Ryan pitch? I saw Brett Saberhagen pitch against Nolan Ryan. <laughs> Yeah, and I mean that's why we went to the game. Like, cool. I was like, this is great. And the game, you know, how many innings the game ended up going? No. Saberhangen and Ryan both made it to the seventh. Okay. Went eighteen innings. <laughs> you stayed the whole game. We stayed the whole game. This is before cell phones or even beepers. So we got home at about ten thirty, and my mom was upset. And I think my dad knew the whole thing. He's like, oh, mom's going to be upset, but he knew. He couldn't like because every inning is like who's we're tied we're keep being tied, yeah. being tied and so we knew we couldn't go because that like that's not fun to yank yeah. from the so yeah we stayed the whole game it was I remember there was one a Rangers guy was like rounding in, in extra innings so you know they score the game's over uh, he slid into third base it was dusty the umpire goes safe. But the dust clears, and the guy's hand hadn't even touched the bag. Like, oh, it was a blown call, but there's nothing they could do. They had to, like, people started saying, uh, you know, BS. And I never really heard that term before. Like, Dad, what are they yelling? I was like, I don't worry about it. But, like, they had to stop because everyone started throwing their popcorn and their cups and their little game bulletins. Oh, yeah, yeah. So they had to uh, stop the game and get the ground crew out there to clean up. And then, uh, yeah, the Royals won. In That's a great game. It was fun. It was, yeah. Yeah. So I got to see Dolan Ryan. It's pretty cool. Uh, most exciting baseball game I've been to. There have been many games that I've been with my brother and my dad, and we look at each other and we go, You want to beat traffic? And then we turn on the radio <laughs> in the yeah. car ride, and we've heard them win games, ex- like exciting games on the radio as you're driving down I 25. So those would probably constitute the most exciting games where you're just like, you, baseball is very good on radio. To like when you hear it's it's a great uh, radio. Pro- I remember uh, when I was younger listening to Rockies games and they would come back in the ninth on radio more than just TV. So I would have to say some random game that we left early where they made a comeback in the ninth, and my dad would be like, he would. T- Every time we leave a game early, just turn on the radio. Like, why do you know? I don't know. Uh, no, I get that. It's really downtown can't. Denver. That's it's hard to get out yeah, of. Yeah, wrong. And we don't live close by, so uh, yeah, we we beat traffic sometimes and miss the exciting conclusion of a uh, Charlie Hayes home run or a Dante Bichette double. So that would be my uh, yeah, kind of the answer to that question. I never saw Nolan Ryan pitch. So yeah. Anyway uh matt's been a fun episode i think so talking baseball we'll do this yeah, over, um we still have uh shoeless joe yeah well because we also we'll, we'll get to that at some point um we'll do that and tandem will rewatch field of dreams and we'll do like uh yeah uh, yeah and it's kind of it's fun to to, to visit these um, classic um, sports books, there's some there's some basketball books from uh, kind of this era '70s that I kind of want to eventually get to. Breaks of the Game by David Halberstam uh, is one that comes to mind. But I think it's been fun to kind of revisit these, um, you know, Eight Men Out, Ball Four. Uh, I like it, old time. Paper Lion. Yep. Uh, what's the one about Bobby Knight? Season on the Brink? Yeah, Season on the Bobby Knight. Yeah, they, I would actually, you know, timely. Bobby Knight just passed away. So um, I think what we're finding is these sort of famous sports books, they're actually a little bit more literary than we kind of mm-hmm. give them credit for. Um, and, and I don't know if it's because 
a lot of the sports books that come out now that are flashy and sell well are like heavily marketed ghost-written things. But if you go wind the clock back a bit, Paper Lion, Ball Four, Amen Out are fantastic and they're very well written. Yes. So, so. And yeah, they're not just uh, sports books that are they're like poorly written and it's just sort of like they're, they're only redeeming gossip. quality is their gossip and they're 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 very well done. Um, so we can I think we can recommend pretty much every sports book that we've read so far. So um, that's saying something. Uh, just to let the listener know, we do have our Patreon up and going, and we did pick a new thriller uh, over there. Thirteen is our next thriller, um, which I'm excited about. I think one of our patrons has actually already read it, so uh, we'll be starting that over there uh, here shortly. So uh, if you like what you list, you hear on these episodes, it doesn't cost that much money to go over there to support us to get more content. I just dropped my newest. Uh, library report where I talk about the library books I read. I read probably the best book I'll, I'll read this year, Matt. I'll say that. Yeah. Uh, North Woods by Daniel Mason is a new book that just came out. It is absolutely amazing. Uh, I want you to read this book at some point. Okay. It's I'll, I'll say it's about the history of a house of like a farmhouse in New England over hundreds of years and the different people that pass through who die uh, in the house or in the sort of in the woods nearby. It's kind of creepy. It's a little, it has some horror aspects to it. Uh, it's beautifully written. Parts of it I read out loud to my wife to be like, look how good this book is. Um, so yeah, that's uh, sort of a side project, but I recommend Northwoods by Daniel Mason. So Put it on the list. Yeah, put it on the list. Uh, Matt, any final thoughts? Any what, what do you hope for the uh, Royals in 2024? Oh, I don't know, 500? I don't know. I hope the team doesn't move to Nashville. Uh, that can't happen. Is that happening? No, it's the owner wants a new stadium, and so they're doing the little – you're not even over threats, subtle threats, like, oh, we could move to Nashville. Like, that type of stuff's going on. They're trying to build the city into paying for a stadium. So, anyway, nobody's filled with the owner. Uh, a halfway competitive team into August would be fantastic. I co-signed that. I co-signed that. You know, same for the Rockies. Same for the Rockies. Halfway competitive, maybe. Yeah, some, some. I want some characters actually. Give me some characters. Give me some home runs. That's all I need. Um, yeah. Thanks for listening, and we will talk to you soon. <laughs>